Well, morning. Good to be with you again. You know, it's a, in life, it's really important to meet the right people. You ever noticed that? And uh, I, heard, I heard Rachel mention she met the right people, and they happen to be over here. It's really important. Keep close to, keep close to the right people, and things will go well with you. Last week, we looked at this subject here, and we also looked at a diagram that my wife kindly drew. And what we learned from that one was that God chose one piece. He chose Abraham and he blessed him and his descendants, the Hebrew people, the Jews. He gave them a piece of dirt to look after. And he also promised that someone would rise from his descendants who would be uh, the Messiah. And David, of course, King David knew that. And that Messiah, first of all, was sent to the Jews for salvation to them. But an amazing thing happened on the day of Pentecost, and God chose to fulfill the promise completely, and he thrust people out of the upper room, and they preached the gospel to the rest of the Jews. Then in Acts chapter 10, the good news starts to spread from Jews over to Romans, and it starts to get out into cross-cultural context and what we're looking at here is roughly what the world looks like today. We have many many different language groups, races in different places and the good news is being spread all around from group to group to group taking the good news everywhere. We call that world missions and you as part of this church are involved in that very task. It's actually happening. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine, his name's Lukey, spelt the same as Lucky. And I call him every week. He's one of our guys in West Java. And he has been under lockdown just like us here because in the western part of Java, the COVID thing's gone crazy. And so the schools are shut and everything. But he is, uh, he's an evangelist, this guy, and a discipler. And he's been using Zoom to train other people. So he's had different groups who have been online with him how to reach, we call them cousins, that is the Muslim world, how to reach cousins. And he said, oh, well, I've been working with four people, training them across the mountains via Zoom. He's not going to keep, keep silent, this guy, as well as his own local work that he does. And he told me on Saturday, just last Saturday, that they had baptised somebody who'd come to Lord, a Muslim man, who'd come to Jesus through the four that he had been training. So things are going forward, friends, even though this time might look like it's shut down. But that's happening daily, daily, daily. People are coming to Jesus. So what we have is the good news being tossed all around. I want to show you, that's our subject for today, to the ends of the earth. Here we have Australia perched right down below a nation of 179 million people. That's a significant number of people on our doorstep. The nearest island is an island called Bread Island or Rotti Island, which is not far off the coast of Australia, north of Darwin up there. I have a friend who's from there. And so we see this picture here. It illustrates that there are hundreds and hundreds of people groups yet to be reached. But the amazing thing is there are are hundreds and hundreds already reached. That means there's more than 2% believers within that people's group and it has a chance of spreading. So the red means it's the very unreached and the green means it's better. <laughs> but the task has still got to be done. So let's zoom in a little bit on this one. 
there we go. You can see the top of Australia perched there. And so that's Indonesia looking at it from a mythological point of view, from the point of view of people's groups, that's language, culture, race and so forth, that are distinctly different from each other. Indonesia has 10% of the world's languages. I mentioned that last week, 700 and something languages. Many of them actually do have the gospel now, praise God. But the significant number that don't, let's look at some stats here. So we see here, look at the top left-hand corner. That's the number of people groups, total, reached or not reached. So you've got 789. That's a lot of different languages, friends, races and cultures to learn. I'm, I'm bicultural. That means I can, I can function in a different culture, having learned the cultural patterns. But there are many different cultural patterns in Indonesia. There's one overarching one and there's many sub ones. So you've got 789. Then you've got people's groups that are yet to be reached. That's the middle box. Go across the top. You've got 238 yet to be reached. In other words, there's either no gospel presence whatsoever or it's just a very small amount. Then go to the middle box and we'll look just here, which is the population in terms of unreached. 169 million people roughly yet, yet to experience the gospel in a significant way. So uh, let's just zoom in a little bit closer on that one right now. And we'll see this is going to the western part of Indonesia. So I live, I live up in this strait here. That's called the Straits of Malacca. That's the busiest sea lanes in the world. Half the world's trade and a third of the world's oil pass through there every day. Did you know that? Uh, you stop that. If you can shut that down, you can shut the world's trade down. It's a very, very strategic place. So I live right right on a group in an island in here near Singapore. We used to live in Singapore. I also used to live down here for quite a number of years. Uh, so you'll see the more you go west in Indonesia, the more you see these red dots. They are distinct language groups and peoples. We function in this area here a lot, it's called the Riau Islands. Uh, I've been all through here, driven all the way through, been by boat everywhere. And there's a significant work to do. There's a thousand occupied islands just there alone. You can't see them, one thousand roughly occupied islands. Uh, so you can go to one every day and it'll still take you a couple of years to do it. Uh, so that's Indonesia in a snapshot. So what that tells us is the gospel is yet to get to the ends of the earth. God promised it would. Last week I said that in this decade that we're entering into, every language on earth will have some portion of scripture translated won't be the whole Bible, it might just be the book of Luke, something like that, in every language by the end of this decade. It was to be the year 2025. Friends, this is a really, really important part of history you are living in. This is the time to keep going and not stop just before you get to the end of the race. You know, things are, are increasing rapidly and dramatically. Uh, I, ha I have uh, staff who are functioning, whoops, let's go back one. Um, these are the Archonese people up here. That's where the tsunami was. Very difficult. They have Sharia law up there. They'll chop your hand off if you steal. Uh, it's a pretty brutal sort of a place. Some of our staff operate up there. They are covert. They have to dress like Muslims, function like Muslims. No other way you can't do it. We've got quite a number of folks here. And uh, they actually go to floggings and witness people being flogged uh, publicly. You've probably seen that on the news. So it's an interesting place to share the gospel. I've been up there a number of times. 
And uh, the, the further you come down, the easier it gets. These are quite animist people down here, dead easy to reach. So you might ask, well, why are they still red dots if they're easy to reach? Workers. It's all about sending workers into the harvest. So when you see a red dot, doesn't mean they're difficult people to reach. They can be very open people to reach, but there's just not a soul there to take the gospel to them. So it's all about mobilising harvest workers. That's why Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few. The best people to reach these sort of places here are Indonesians themselves. I'm just too tall and too white. My nose is too long and I'm, it just doesn't work, you see. So what, what we can do is leverage other people to do it. And that's the best way uh, to leverage the local people. So statistics are important in world missions. Without statistics, you don't know where to go. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, if you're going to go, you've got to know. And so world statistics are vitally important for, the, for the bringing closure to the gospel. The reason you can see a red dot on that map is someone has researched it. And they've put in time doing all the stats and ground-truthing it as to whether it's real or not. So let's just look at some case studies out of the scriptures right now. We're just going to look at Acts 1.8 and the scripture here says that you will receive power. We looked at that last week. World missions without the Holy Spirit is boring and it's hard work. Don't do it. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit and God's got to carry you into it. Otherwise you face too many things that get you too discouraged and too disappointed. So when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, uh, God puts a vision in your heart. And I want to draw your attention to the last couple of words there. It says, and to the ends of the earth. A friend of mine named Hencha, it's a Dutch name, but he's Indonesian. Ten years ago I trained him and had him put into his life with others, helped him get focused, and he took it for real. And he went to a group of people. I'm going to backtrack and I'll sidetrack for a second. I'm going to go backwards here. He went to a group of people, uh, where can, is it, I'll have to go back here. He went to a group up here, it's that spur, see that spur up there that goes out? He went to a group of people just up in here and he took the good news there and they're animist people, not Muslim, and he took teams there repeatedly, had to learn the language and how to get started and they've just baptised a little over 5,000 people now with over 40 churches and that's starting from ground zero. So it, it does happen when you keep going, really, really important. So we work with Henshaw. We've been training the local people that have come to Christ now also to be missionaries. So the best missionaries are always first-generation people. The best evangelists are always new. The newest believer is the best evangelist you'll ever have. Right? The most difficult people to get mobilized are the ones who have been the longest a believer and have become comfortable in their nice padded chair. So, uh, let's go forward again. So, to the ends of the earth. So, let's have a little look at some case studies here, what's happening. This is from Justin Long. Write that name down and look him up online. He's one of these guys that researches. A, a most extraordinary sort of a person, Justin is. And so, I'm part of his network. So, he says this about the Muslim world. He says this, My work on documenting movements has led me to conclude at least 29 million believers are part of movements that are mostly or exclusively concentrating on Muslims. Muslim world is a very large block. 
Not all these believers come from a Muslim background, but most do. This sounds like a huge and hard-to-believe number, 29 million. But it really shouldn't surprise us. First, there are 1.9 million Muslims in the world. 29 million is a very small percentage, 1.5%. The Muslim world largely remained almost unreached until about 20 years ago. Very few. You could only count within thousands the number of Muslims that had really come to Christ significantly since the, the year 600, roughly around there when Islam started. It was virtually untouched. The move of God among the Muslim world is it's spectacular. You can read books on revival in America and all around other parts of the, of the world, but what's happening in the Muslim world is completely outrageous. It is really happening. The reason you don't hear about it, because it's not written, it's not happening in Western places. Right? And it's happening in ways that just doesn't look like it's classic uh, revival kind of stuff. It's among Muslims, totally culturally different. We experience this. We've seen over 20,000 Muslims being baptized in the last 12 years. We started from ground zero with a pastor that joined. Anyway, he joined us. He, had a, he saw a vision in my office one day when he was there in prayer. And he left his ministry pastoring an Anglican church where his bishop had said, you cannot reach Muslims. That was the mandate from the bishop. Don't do it. You must only minister to Christians. The Holy Spirit put in his heart that I've got to reach Muslims. And he finally left. He had a vision, he had a gift of faith, and he left, and he started out in West Java with two guys that came to Christ. It's now baptised over 20,000 people. He's a very dear, close friend of mine. I've spent an hour with him this week online, and we've worked together for over a decade now. So these statistics are because God has promised to do something. He said that the ends of the earth will hear the gospel. Do not be surprised that 5 or 10% of Muslims come to Christ in the next, next 30 or 40 years. It, it should be expected because the gospel promises it. It's completely out of control now. A friend of mine also in central Java used to live just a, a couple hundred yards behind me. Uh, he's seen nearly over 200,000 come to Christ and baptised in Indonesia alone in central Java. Now you don't read books about this. You know why you don't read? Because if, if we publish it too much, it creates problems. Every crazy Westerner wants to come and take photos and be a tourist in these places where the Spirit of God's moving, so we just don't tell. It's really important to keep things under the lid so what is happening doesn't get corrupted by, by outside influence. Who, uh, and the devil sends people who want to be a, get a slice of the pie. Paul had the same problem. Wherever he went, he had people following him and corrupting the work he did. The book of Galatians is a book to defend uh, the Galatians against people who wanted a slice of his fruit. And so that's why you don't hear a lot of this stuff. We just keep it below the radar so you can get up critical mass without it being uh, corrupted. So that's Justin's, Justin's pitch on things. Let's, uh, let's look here and go through some scripture. This is not working. Why is it not working? Okay, we go quickly through Acts 11, Acts 8, Acts 11, and Acts 13. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, two people operating at once. It's not going to work, is it? Okay, so we're just going to have a quick look in Acts 8, 
1 and 4, let's just read this through. I want to take you through a story about how the gospel progresses and goes outward and outward and outward. And I want to draw your attention to a couple of, a couple of words on this. So Acts, Acts 8, 1 says, On that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Hang on to that word, scattered throughout. It's a really important part of how the gospel got to Brisbane. This word scattered throughout is totally critical for the spread of the gospel. And then we skip a couple of verses and it says, those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word of God. Friends, the first major move of God outside of Jerusalem happened by refugees. They were pushed out. They, they lost their land title and were squeezed out of Jerusalem and they just had to go all over the place. So that's the first ones. And then we come to Acts 11. So we skip on a couple of years, literally, in, in the story. And these are the same people. Let's look what happens here. So, and those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as, hang on to those few words, made their way as far as, remember we saw all the red dots on Indonesia, made their way as far as, and they made their way as far as uh, Antioch and Phoenicia and Cyprus and began speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. Now that's really important. That's like if you're not Chinese, that's like you speaking to the Chinese. They spoke to the Greeks who, who were culturally different and also spoke a different language. And so they're talking to the Greeks and they proclaimed the good news about Jesus. And the Lord's hand with, was with them and a large number believed. So what we see here is like these little boxes that we saw on the world before. The good news has moved from this box over into the Greek world. Now let's skip on a little further. Remember the people that started all this are refugees from Jerusalem, believers. They were not apostles they weren't one of the 12. They were ordinary people like you sitting there. That's a really important point. And so off they go and they, they shared the good news wherever they went. So we then see the same, the same chain reaction happening here when we go to Acts 13. And so if we look in Acts 13, 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, he was probably a black guy, uh, dark guy, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, uh, Mayanem, and a, f a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart, that's an important point, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after they had prayed and fasted, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. The church at Antioch was started by people and we don't know their name. They were the refugees. The Antioch church then became a very strong and powerful church and it names the leadership group who are having a prayer meeting, having a time of worship. And in that time of praise and worship, God says, these two guys, leaders, Brad, a couple of leaders of the church, time to get out of here. And God sent them out to 
and they didn't even really know where they're going. So off they go, and let's follow the story a little further. So I'm going to skip now to the end of chapter 13. This is the same chain reaction. We're talking about the red dots, how you get there, right? And so there's a whole bunch of stories go on here. And this is, this is Paul and uh, Barnabas, and they share the good news in a wonderful way. And they're talking about new life and repentance and, and the kingdom of God. And this is the way Luke, the writer, summarizes things at this point. He says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God, or the word of the Lord, and as many as, as who had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the, Lord, uh, and the word of the Lord was being spread, or was spreading, throughout the whole region. My question to you is, who is spreading the word of the Lord through the whole region? It was the new believers. It was not the apostles at this point who were spreading the good news through the whole region. Paul and Barnabas triggered something off. They were catalytic, if you like. They got the fire burning. That word there, spreading throughout the whole region, in the Greek, it's ekbalo, which means ek is the kind of the reference point and the balo is the throwing. So it actually reads like this that the gospel or the good news was being tossed around the whole region. So you have to ask the question, who is tossing it around the whole, the whole region? So what we see is a couple of refugee people thrown out of Jerusalem. A few years later, they go here. Some others, they go to a place called Antioch. They preach the gospel. Some people come to Christ. Some more years later, a, a fellowship emerges. Some leadership emerges. Then a couple of those leaders are sent out, they go somewhere else, and we see this chain reaction, bit by bit by bit, the good news is being tossed through the whole region, and people are coming to Christ by the tens of thousands. In Acts 11, verse 19, I mentioned there's a really important reference to, to anchor back to, and it says, they made their way as far as. Did you notice that? Acts 11. Now... For us, have we made our way as far as across the street where you live? Have you made your way as far as your neighbours? Have you made your way as far as colleagues at work to share Jesus and share your life? Have you made your way as far as cousins and relatives? You know, this word, made your way as far as, is a really important part of, of how God releases a strategy to share the gospel we have to take and make our way as far as God puts that vision in our heart and also statistics tell us how far we should take the gospel as well now I am I, I live and breathe and I'm a career missionary for those red dots my my whole passion is to take the good news as far as there's a red dot and to get somebody there who can share good news to get things started. I'm going to just close right now by reading a story from uh, well over a, a thousand years ago. And it's an interesting little story about what happens when there's persecution. Persecution is not a good thing. Don't let anyone tell you that persecution is, is, really, is really a good thing for the church. It's a difficult thing. You know, people get bruised, people get killed, people get damaged for life through persecution. A little bit of persecution is actually good 
good pressure. There, it is good to have a little persecution, but, but when you've witnessed severe persecution, friends, it's just devastating to see people with their arms cut off. And you know, I know people who have personally witnessed beheadings, you know, and uh, people have personally been t tortured. I am friends and know people like this. Friends, severe persecution, don't ever pray for it. You don't want it. But you need a little pressure. You need a little pressure, just enough to get you moving, right? Now, here's a story what, that happened uh, over a thousand years ago by a Muslim leader in Egypt. Remember, the Christians have been there since the first century in Egypt. Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, went to Alexandria across the Mediterranean. He shared the gospel and friends. Millions of, Egypt, of Egyptians came to Christ in the first century. And they're still there today. We call them the Coptic Christians. They're the disciples of Mark originally. All right, so here's what happened in the, in the year 953. Uh, the fourth... The fourth Caliph, that's the leader, uh, his name was very long and unpronounceable, uh, ruled from 953 to 975 AD and moved the centre of power from a certain place from Tunisia uh, to Egypt. In persecuting the church, he once issued a decree to close all churches of, the Coptic, of Coptic Christianity in Egypt and forbid the church bells to ring. This is over a thousand years ago. Capital punishment was threatened to anyone who dared uh, to meet in a church building or even to open a church. For nine long years, the churches were closed and the gates grew rusty and the pigeons took residence in the sanctuaries. I've actually been to this area in Cairo. It's still there today. You can go and see it. Uh, some of the faithful Christians travelled across the desert seeking, uh, seeking to start monasteries in the wilderness so they could meet for prayer and worship. However, the majority could not afford this time to travel on foot across the desert, so they were forced to stay in their homes on Sundays, not go anywhere, just carry out their usual life. After nine years, the, the caliph, the Muslim leader, decided to see for himself how the Coptic Christians were now crushed and silenced in, in this, this part of Egypt. In disguise, he set out on a Sunday and walked in the streets of their quarters, a certain quarter, in old Cairo, and he heard the sound of prayers, Bible reading, and worship from every house that he passed. His reaction was another decree, a famous decree. Open the churches and let them pray and, and, and as they please. I thought I had closed the church in every street only to find that I'd opened a church in every house. This is a true story. Friends, this COVID thing might have shut you in your house, but did you take the time to use it to seek God? You know, this is a time where God is mightily at work, friends. Now, sure, it's a bad thing. We don't want it. But the, the net effect is for, for, for you and I, we should take stock of what God wants to do in our life through this time. And as a church, friends, I do not like you sitting four metres or whatever it is from each other. It's crazy. You shouldn't have to do this. But you know what? It's working righteousness in our life. And my prayer for us as a church is, is to take a hold of that little verse and it says, as far as, they made their way as far as. The doors will open on your house and the doors will open here and we will be able to freely meet. But may we meet with a passion and a vision, friends, that is renewed. Shared vision. 
It's all about a shared vision together. Raising money is just part of the journey. May it all come in and be there an abundance thereof, the local work and foreign work. But it's a shared vision that God puts in our heart. It's a biblical vision that God puts in our heart. And when it's biblical, God blesses it. It's about a shared identity as followers of Jesus. It's collective. That's who we are. We have something from God. He says, I'll bless you that you might be a blessing. And friends, it's about hanging on to God's promises for the nations to keep going. Don't give up just before the finish line. There's more to come and there's an abundance of harvest just around the corner as we come out of this, this crazy upside down time. So let's finish up right now. And I want us, can you please stand right now with me? And I would just like us to pray. I'm going to ask you to do the praying, not me. Now, with, with a voice as loud as you can muster, all right, so others could hear. Can we just have a number of people pray out loud? Can you respond to what we've heard this morning? Can you respond to what the scripture says to you this morning? Okay, whatever's in your heart, be it local or foreign, can you just utter a prayer to the Lord, short, and loud and then I'll close then after a number of people prayed so someone's anointed here to go first go one after the other all right I'm going to say one two three and somebody's going to pray out loud are we ready so here we go one two three go for it whoever it is Amen. friends go be filled with the Holy Spirit go enjoy and peace and love God bless you <laughs>